Thank you for the song. Uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with that, I think it's written by Ron Hamilton, uh, Patch the Pirate. And um, it's been used in the lives of children and adults for years to just see uh, the need around the world for more laborers. Here am I, Lord, send me. And uh, love that. Pray for the Hamilton family. Um, recently lost, uh, they've lost a, a son tragically uh, years ago to a suicide. Can't imagine a more heartbreaking thing for a parent. And uh, then, and then Shelley recently lost her father, Frank Garlock, and uh, he had a long, productive life. It was in his 90s, uh, but just had that loss. And then Ron Hamilton has uh, dementia. And uh, he actually is in hospice care as well. And uh, that family's just been visited with some real hardships. Uh, Ron's the one that wrote the song of Rejoice in the Lord, that even in the midst of hardships, we can trust God. And when we don't see or understand, he's still uh, trustworthy and good. Uh, but they've gone through deep waters. So uh, pray for them. And, and they've had a really good testimony through that time that God's grace is sufficient for them. Uh, Pastor mentioned... Um, the, the book Theology That Sticks, uh, about the power of hymns. Uh, one of the things I most love about that is you'll see someone that has dementia, and uh, they might not recognize children and, they, and faces, and they, just, they can't recall normal facts. And then they start hearing a hymn, and, and the clouds part, and they can understand and sing every single word uh, I've seen videos of Ron Hamilton. He's so confused. And then they start playing a song, maybe one that he wrote. And all of a sudden he's singing along and directing, you know, some choir somewhere. And uh, music's very powerful that way. Someone uh, looked at the cover. They said, I thought it said theology that stinks. Um, <laughs> we could write that book. That, you know, that, that would be a long one. Uh, there are songs that teach bad theology. But this one's a positive book about uh, good theology. Thank you to Pastor uh, for that. And thank you. Uh, Ryan is helping with the book table. So uh, if you would like to purchase one of those resources, you can uh, talk to Ryan. If you don't, don't worry about it because anything he doesn't sell, he's agreed to buy. So uh, Ryan, thank you for that. It's very, very generous of you. No smart. <laughs> very good. Um, thank you, uh, Pastor, for having me back. And uh, when you had me the first time, you don't know what you're getting. You know, you have me a second time. If this goes badly, it's kind of your fault. Uh, so really good to be back with you. I enjoyed being with you a year ago, focusing on worship. And then to be back and uh, focusing now on, uh, on evangelism and missions. What a privilege. I am the, global of, uh, the uh, vice president of global opportunities uh, for biblical ministries worldwide. And I'm so grateful for that ministry. Missions uh, usually go by, by just a few letters. And uh, we are BMW, and uh, that'll stick in your mind. Biblical Ministries Worldwide, BMW. Um, we all drive broken down Chevys, uh, but the name of the mission is BMW. And uh, we have missionaries in some 40-plus countries. The Lord has recently allowed us to uh, expand that. We have partners now uh, in India and um, in the Central African Republic, and the Lord just continues to do great things now. Uh, the Lord's giving us uh, a beachhead in Hungary, and then we have a uh, long-time ministry that we heard about uh, this morning 
from the Ramirez family uh, in Argentina, and I love their vision for gospel expansion through the valley where the Lord has put them. Um, this is Dr. Ramirez. Uh, Pastor mentioned that I recently got my doctorate. Mine is in expository preaching. Um, the Ramirez family, he's actually a medical doctor. So if somebody has a problem today, if you have a heart attack, I can only pray for you <laughs> or preach to you. Um, and uh, Dr. Ramirez could actually help you and pray for you. So uh, pray for the ministry of biblical ministries worldwide and uh, what God is doing around the world. This morning, I am preaching on the topic of the Great Commissions. And you might say, boy, that sounds like a typo. What do you mean the Great Commissions? Isn't there just one? You know, we're used to, we're used to talking about the Great Commission. And uh, a commission, I looked up the definition. A commission is instructions or command or a duty. I like that word. It's a duty. Christians have a great duty that has been uh, put on us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just something he said in passing. Jesus lived probably around 33 years. Uh, three of those, he did the ministry that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, he went about teaching and healing. And eventually, you know, he resisted temptation. He lived a perfect life. He's the Son of God sent from heaven to rescue us from our sins. And his ministry culminates in his death on the cross, in the place of sinners like us, and then his resurrection from the grave in absolute triumph and victory. He has 40 more days he lives on the earth, and he's seen by many witnesses, and then he ascends to heaven. But before he ascends to heaven, really the climax of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John aren't only his death and resurrection, but the instructions he gives as he's departing. Um, I'm a parent. Uh, my wife, Lori, and I, I'm sorry she can't be here. Uh, she is a K-4 teacher, and uh, it's hard for her to get away. Uh, but my wife, Lori, and I have been married for 20 happy years, which isn't bad out of 27. Uh, just joking. 27 happy years. And uh, the Lord's blessed us with four children. I wish you could come so you could get to meet her maybe next time. Um, but when we're leaving the house, when the girls were old enough for us to leave without uh, having to have a babysitter, you know, I'm ready to go get to the restaurant. And usually my wife is giving these final instructions on the way out the door. You know, uh, don't fight. And if something goes wrong, call us. And if somebody comes to the door, don't open it. And, you know, she has these final urgent instructions that she has to give. And parents, you know what that's like. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he had instructions for us, uh, commissions for us. And we're going to be looking at those commands from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts. Uh, you say, man, that sounds like a long sermon. Um, it could be. Buckle up. Um, actually, we're looking at just the, the last verses uh, of most of those books. The word intolerable um, describes something that, that we're aware of it and we're not okay with it. We're not at peace with it. Um, I suggest to you it's intolerable that there are people alive in the world today that will never hear the name Jesus before they die. Uh, not not. Millions, you know, we used to we used to sing untold millions are still untold. No, untold billions 
with a B are still untold. There's people that will never have a chance to trust Jesus because Romans 10 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And and how will they preach unless they be sent? Without missionaries going and taking the gospel, there are people that they have no hope. You know, we, we sang today, Christ our hope in life and death. But there are people in the world that have no hope in life and no hope in death because they've never even had a chance to reject Jesus. They've, they've never even heard about him. That's intolerable. I remember the first time I went to Africa. And, um, you know, we land in a big city. I was in Uganda. And then we went out on a, uh, on a trip kind of into the bush for this conference we were going to be doing. And for several hours, we were away from the city, and the roads were, were mud, and you know, they were bad. And uh, some of the teammates were sleeping or doing other things, and I just kept looking out the window. And we would pass a hut, and we'd pass a child, and we'd, we'd pass a woman carrying stuff on her head. And it struck me, those two naked boys that are, that are playing in their yard are made in the image of God just like me. They're going to live somewhere forever, just like me. Um, We we get so self-focused, but the reality is we're not particularly special. I am one of 8 billion people, and and God doesn't care more for me than those, uh, to me, anonymous, nameless people that I was passing in the middle of the continent of Africa. They're all going to live somewhere forever, and if they don't hear about Jesus, they have no chance of salvation. That's intolerable to me. That first picture is a little girl that I met when I was uh, ministering in Haiti. Had the privilege of uh, preaching there and visiting and seeing the needs and what God is doing there. Second picture uh, I shared yesterday about an orphanage that now we're, uh, Biblical Ministries Worldwide is working with an orphanage in the Central African Republic. Right in the middle of the continent of Africa is the CAR. And this orphanage is taking in children who otherwise would perish. That picture is hard to look at. The one in the middle is a little boy that, um, that was being raised by his sister. His, their parents, their, their mom died when she was seven and he was a newborn. And she's trying to take care of him as his primary, you know, his only caregiver at seven years old. Here he is in that picture, skin and bones. You see his spine sticking out. He was two years old, so malnourished, and at the precipice of death. And by God's grace, uh, I got to go there last year, and I met this little boy. His name is Chris, just like me. And um, he was my shadow the entire time. We're walking around holding hands, and you know, he's, he's wrapped around my neck. He's, he's pudgy. He's funny. He's smart. And they have saved his life, and by God's grace, we're praying that, that his soul will eventually be saved as well. They're doing, they're doing great work. Um, and and even, even though he avoided uh, immediate death, this little four-year-old boy is HIV positive. And uh, just, just open your eyes to the needs around the world. You know, on the right uh, are a group of boys uh, in Kenya, Next picture, 
Um, we did a relief trip. BMW did a relief trip to Ukraine last year. And uh, by God's grace, we got to, uh, to raise funds to have four evangelists. They had been uh, trained actually through the Master's Seminary, uh, an international uh, wing to their ministry. These men had been trained in seminary, and, um, and they knew Russian, and they were able to minister to Ukrainian refugees who were pouring over, over the border into Poland and Germany. And we were able to, to fund four of them for the year, and then we took relief. Um, Bibles and, and ministry tools, but also just food and medicine, medical supplies, take them into Ukraine. And I see these girls uh, in that picture, and, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, their dads are on the front line if, if they're still alive. You know, everyone we saw when we crossed into Ukraine, everyone we saw uh, were ladies and children. And if you saw men, they were old men, and everyone else was at the front. And they, they need relief, but they, they need the gospel. There's such a gospel opportunity now. People are being displaced. They need help. And as we, as we help refugees, we can give them a cup of cold water, so to speak, but we also need to give them the gospel. Uh, last per- picture, you've got to love uh, Ramirez family. The little boy is in Indonesia, and he's wearing a, uh, a soccer jersey. He's wearing a soccer jersey from Argentina. Uh, messy, no doubt. Uh, but there are these children in a small village in Indonesia, and and I'm just picking kids. But you know, I I could put any number of pictures up there. I, I could put eight billion pictures up there. People need the Lord. They need to hear the gospel. They can't believe in a Savior of whom they've never heard. And the Bible has has put on us the responsibility of giving them the truth. Uh, our job is not to hide out from the world. Our job is actually to, to come together and, and we, we come to church and we worship and then we get taught uh, from the scriptures. We, we get prepared, we get equipped. And then our job is to go out into the world and, and to be witnesses of Christ. And that's true in your area. Not everybody's supposed to go to the mission field. You, you need to be witnesses here, but it's true all over the world. And the Bible tells us that again and again, and again, in what I am calling the Great Commissions, plural. It's no typo. So we're beginning in the book of Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We have this record of Christ's resurrection, and, and the um, Jewish leaders are trying to lie about it. They're getting the soldiers to lie about it. There are even some of the disciples who kind of persist in their doubt uh, but many believed, and, and the Lord is going to use this kind of ragtag group of disciples to turn the world upside down. Here's the commission that God gave to them and to us. We're not just reading about what you know Peter and John and Thomas were supposed to do. We're reading about what the church is supposed to do. We especially know that because it's going to close by saying, uh, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, the end of the world. So, Far beyond the lifetime of the first disciples, this work continues until Jesus comes back. He hasn't come yet. This is our responsibility. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is the word of God. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them, we might say spake unto us as well, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven 
and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. The word teach literally is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe or to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And that's not just geographical, to the end of the the age, to the end of time. He's with us, and then it closes with amen. What a powerful passage. Uh, This this is probably the one that is most known uh, to missionaries. Uh, Brother Mears told us, you know, this is the missionary's favorite text, and there's a reason for that. This tells us exactly what we're trying to do. The one command in the passage actually is not go. That looks like a command. But the one command is to make disciples. You know, we read it in King James as, as teach all nations. Uh, but the word teach there is to make disciples. And, and it's okay. The, the translation is not bad because a disciple is a student. It's a it's student plus. A, a disciple is a student, a, a follower, uh, someone that is not just learning and taking notes, but someone that is, is kind of absorbing the entire life and the purpose and the values of the one that is instructing them. We are to make disciples of Jesus. I say there we're supposed to make disciples, not just collect decisions. You know, there are mission works... Uh, there are some so-called mission works that they're doing good things, maybe at an orphanage or they're digging wells so people have clean water. They're doing good works, but they never preach the gospel. They never tell people about Jesus. And listen, if, if what you're doing could be duplicated by the United Way or the Red Cross, that's not missions. All right, We want to do good things, but it's always, always, always got to include uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to make disciples. Now, there are other ministries, they do give the gospel, but maybe they, they go to a town and, and show the Jesus movie. Not a bad thing. You know, show the Jesus movie, tell people about Jesus. But there are ministries that they go to a town, they show the Jesus movie, several people pray to trust Christ, and then they move on to the next town, and they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, but, but there's no follow-up, there's no, there's no church planting. You know, they're, they're gathering decisions, but we want more than decisions, we want disciples. Go make disciples. And where are we supposed to go? We're supposed to go everywhere. There's a universal scope to this. In fact, if you were to read back through that again and look for the word all, um, all power is given, verse 18. Go and make disciples of all nations, verse 19, teaching them to observe or obey all things whatsoever um, I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But the scope of the mission is especially that we're supposed to go to all nations. We're, we're going. Okay, I said that the one command is make disciples, and then we have three participles, and for most of you, that does nothing for you. I get it. You know, when somebody starts talking about, like, grammar, it's like the uh, teacher from Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. All right, but these participles, we are making disciples, we are going, 
we are baptizing, we are teaching, and all of that is under the commands of the disciples. So part of it is, is that we're going. Christianity has expansion in its very DNA. It must reach out. Okay, we're, we're never just settling, but we're, we're perpetually looking for the next place. Uh, Jesus would do that. There were people that wanted Jesus to stay in their village and keep teaching. And he says, no, no, I need to go to the next village. Uh, that's what I love about what is happening in Argentina. Uh, you have a church, and that's enough, right? No, 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 because there's another village that doesn't have the gospel. And then there's another village that doesn't have the gospel. And it, it's like the Apostle Paul in Romans 15. He says, I don't want to just build on someone else's foundation. I want to go to virgin soil, we would say. I want to go uh, to new areas, to unreached areas. I, I want to take the light to the darkness. Now, we, we want the gospel to go everywhere, but there's a sense in which we most urgently need it to, we, we need to get the gospel to where it's not. You know, you're familiar with the idea of a medical triage. Okay, you go to the emergency room with a broken arm, and, you know, say you're, say you're first in line. And then someone comes in that is having a heart attack. Should they treat you first, or should they treat the heart attack patient first? You know, then somebody comes in that, that they've, uh, they've been shot, and it's a potential fatality. You know, w- would it be ridiculous of you to say, hey, get in line, buster. You know, take a number. I was here first and, you know, set my pinky. Uh, no, a triage means they're going to address the most urgent need first. So, so we'll take care of your arm, but first we need to save a life. All right, well, well if we look at triage in, in gospel ministry, the gospel needs to go everywhere. But there's so many places that already have a gospel witness. And, and, you know, then we pile another one and another one and a new church and another church. And, you know, well, they, they have a gospel witness, but it's not a Baptist gospel witness. Amen? Uh, it's not an independent Baptist gospel mission. Amen? It's not a conservative music independent Baptist gospel mission. Amen? It's not a King James preaching conservative music independent Baptist, you know, I, I'm, I'm losing track of my, my adjectives. But, but at some point it gets ridiculous. And, and, then, and then there are places around the world, they, they have nobody. Nobody's preaching Jesus. So, so shouldn't we, with some urgency, say, Lord, we need to get the light to the darkest place? You know, I love, I loved being with you last year, uh, talking about worship. Loved it. And I, I loved singing with you today. I've loved this, this weekend. Just this, the fellowship is sweet. I, I loved watching Pastor try to start the service and everybody was talking. Uh, there's something healthy about that because we love being together. It's actually a good thing. I love that. Okay, but if you are singing the gospel and studying the gospel, you know, I, I have uh, devotionals out there. They're called gospel meditations. So you can read about the gospel every day. But if you're doing all of that and you're never giving the gospel to lost people, you're a disobedient Christian. You know, we, we have this category, you can be gospel-centered, and yet you never, you never tell it to the lost. That, that's wrong. If you're gospel-centered, you get it to lost people. 
in, in your area, and as Matthew tells us, to the ends of the earth. Christianity is not for the privilege. It's not just for a few. You know, it wasn't just for the Jews. And um, it, it, it's not just for Americans. It's not just for kind of upper middle class, a certain kind, kind of person. It's for everybody, for all the nations. John 4.42, the Samaritan woman uh, has come to faith in Christ. She's, she's this outcast, married and divorced five times, living with somebody else. Jesus puts his affection on her, and he says, I'm, I'm going to save this woman. He saves her. He satisfies her thirsty heart. And this woman who knows next to nothing, you want to talk about evangelism? She knows next to nothing. She just knows Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Everything else, she's pretty confused. But she goes into her town. All the people she had been avoiding, you know, she, she went to the well in the heat of the day because she didn't want to be with all those women. Why didn't she want to be with all the women like early in the morning when they all went to get water? Why was she avoiding them? Well, it's just math. If you have five ex-husbands, you have five ex-mothers-in-law and, and 10 to 20 ex-sisters-in-law. She's avoiding people. She's ashamed. But as soon as she met Jesus, she left her jar and she went into town. She says, you got, you got to meet this man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior? And you're going to have a revival fall on that village because a lady that knew nothing but Jesus just told people, you got to get to Jesus. And, and that entire town got saved. And, and the climax of that passage is in John 4.42. And the people say, now we believe, not just because we heard her, but, but we've been to Jesus ourselves. And we understand that he is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. The Samaritans are saying that. The Samaritans are hated by the Jews, but they said, oh, we understand. Jesus is not the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus is not just the Savior of Americans. He's the Savior of the world. He's not just the Savior of Republicans. He's the Savior of the world. 1 John 4.14, uh, John is writing. The same John that wrote John 4 is now writing the, the letter of 1 John. 1 John 4.14, he says, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The world. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations. I love 1 John 4.14. Uh, when my children were younger, most of you uh, might remember I have four daughters. I think I mentioned that this morning. Four daughters. And uh, I'm an empty nester now, my wife and I. But when they were younger, we would be teaching them memory verses. And I don't think I'll ever enjoy one more than I did First John 4.14. To try to get it in their head, we used rhythm. So we would say, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You want to try? Everybody. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We just rapped at Cloverleaf Baptist Church. <laughs> it's a big day. The Father sent the Son not to be the Savior of a few. He, he sent the Son to be the Savior of of the world. And he's commanded us to make disciples of all nations. And he says, go. You know, get, get with it. The long-term goal, it says baptizing, teaching them all things Jesus commanded. That's a lot. That, that's not a weekend seminar. It's going to take a lifetime. We're, we're teaching them obedience. So we're not just trying to get them out of hell and into heaven. 
That, that's going to happen. What a blessing. But, but they're coming to know God. They're being reconciled to him. They have a relationship with him. And now we start a process where they're learning the scriptures. They're learning what he said. They're learning to obey it. Part of obeying all things he's commanded is to obey the Great Commission. So, so when your church has an evangelism conference and we're talking about here's how you give the gospel more effectively, we're carrying out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're, we're teaching you to obey everything Jesus said, or at least a portion of it this week. This assumes church planting. Uh, one thing I love about BMW is uh, several things I love. I love that BMW cares about the big rocks, you know, the big things. Uh, we will be unbending on the inerrancy of Scripture, on the exclusivity of the Christian gospel. There's no way to salvation except through Jesus Christ. And we're, we're adamant about the importance of the church. Churches send missionaries, and then missionaries start churches. And the cycle just goes on and on and on. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it doesn't use the word church. But it does say that we're teaching people exhaustively what Jesus has, has taught us in the scriptures, 66 books. And it says we're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is organizing people into churches. And it's interesting that Matthew is the only one of the four gospels that mentions the word church. We have it in Matthew 16, 18. The Lord Jesus says, I will build my church. And then in Matthew 18, if somebody's in sin and they won't repent, he says, you know, you go to them and then you take a witness. And if they still won't repent, you take them before the church. Matthew 28 kind of implicitly says, as you make disciples, you're teaching them, you're, you're baptizing them. It's, it's a Trinitarian work. The Father saves, the Son saves, the Spirit saves. The Father designed salvation. The Son accomplished salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies salvation to your heart. He, he brings you life, regeneration. This is a work of the triune God. And it kind of implicitly uh, explains the church as a training unit. And then I love this. And, and we'll move on from Matthew. We have these Jesus bookends. Jesus bookends. What do I mean by that? Verse 18, he says, all power is mine. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has all power. And then he ends, gives us this, this impossible command. But he says, I have all power and I am with you always. To the end of the age, without divine power and presence, the command to make disciples would be impossible. All right? I, I often say that's beyond my pay grade. Jesus could just as easily command me to make planets. I, I can't make disciples, not, not by my own power. No, but none of this is my own power. All power belongs to Jesus. I, I would say this. He has the authority to give the command, and he has the power to fulfill the command, and we just get to ride along. You know, it's like surfing. The, the wave is all the power. You don't create it. You just ride it. You know, just hang on to your board. Jesus is doing all the work. All the power is his, and he is with us to the end of the age. I, I think the most encouraging promises in Scripture are when God says, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, whatever happens, when you, when you walk through the fire, 
then I will be with you. You know, when, when you're in a flood, it won't consume you. I, I love the idea, the flood surrounds me, but that's fine because God surrounds the flood. He's with us, and he gives us this stupendous command. Matthew has a record of the Great Commission. We haven't done it justice, but let's move on quickly to Mark. And uh, we have to speed up. I read the, Spurgeons of, uh, I read the sermons of uh, Spurgeon. His first point takes five pages. His second point takes two pages. And then his third point is a paragraph. Uh, That's what I do. I spend too much time early on, so we've got to catch up a little bit. The second Great Commission we have is at the end of Mark, Mark 16, 15. This is probably the one that I uh, was most familiar with as I was growing up, like in a Wana club. Uh, Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's, that's the synopsis. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And you say, whoa, baptism is part of salvation? No, no, no. It, it follows salvation. And he clarifies that. Um, he that believeth not shall be damned. He doesn't say he that's not baptized, but he that doesn't believe will be damned. But like Matthew, baptism's part of the equation. A disciple that believes in Jesus needs to be baptized in obedience and and join his church and be instructed. The command to evangelize is go preach the gospel. So New Testament outreach is primarily go and tell, not come and see. Now, um, Easter's coming up, and I hope this church is just full. I hope you have to set up extra chairs. You know, you you have this... you have this time on the calendar where, where even non-Christians want to be in church on Easter. All right, it's a Southern thing. They're going to go somewhere. Uh, don't let them go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel. Get them to your church. You know, offer to take them to lunch afterwards. You know, but, but, but get them to church. And, and it's fine to invite people to come and hear the word. But the main missionary evangelistic command is for us to go. So we don't just wait for them to come. We go get them. We are supposed to get busy. This describes an announcement, not necessarily a sermon. Uh, When it says preach the gospel, it might be unhelpful because when you think of preaching, you think of a pulpit. Well, you know, we have a preacher. No, no, but, but this isn't preaching. This is announcing. This is proclaiming. The, the Greek word, I know, wah, 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 wah. But the Greek word doesn't mean sermonizing. It means just announcing the truth, telling the good news. We preach the gospel. So our message has content. We're not just saying God loves you. We're preaching the gospel. And the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose the third day according to the scriptures, and a bunch of people saw him. That's the gospel. There is objective content to what we're telling people. So we're not just being good neighbors. We're not just being nice. We're not just saying God loves you, has a plan for your life. We're saying that Jesus is the only Savior. We're giving them the gospel. We preach the gospel, and again, we have this universal scope. Just like Matthew said, make disciples of all nations, Mark says, go to all the world. And then if you didn't catch that, we preach the gospel to every creature. So all the world means, like, we need to get to every place. But when it says, preach the gospel to every creature, you're not preaching to butterflies. You're preaching to every 
person made in the image of God. So, again, Christianity is intended for everybody, not just a select few, not just the privileged. And, and this is just kind of a, a, a missions, uh, this, this is me um, kind of complaining about the way we sometimes do missions. Uh, there are organizations that they're helpful because they try to explain who's unreached. Um, and they say, you know, we need to get to unreached people groups. They have no Bible. They have no Bible witness. Um, but in doing so, sometimes they list countries as being reached, and there's kind of like a check, like, oh, that's covered. Poland. Poland has been reached. Do you know Poland has... Uh, what, what did you say um, that the, uh, the evangelical percentages... In Hungary, about 3%. In Poland, it's 0.2%. Not, not 2%, 0.2%. There are more evangelicals in Afghanistan than in Poland. But we say, oh, you know, it's part of Europe. They've had the gospel. Yeah, like 300 years ago. Those people are all gone. They need the gospel now. So, I want to get to, you know, unreached people groups in Papua New Guinea. I, 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 want, you, I want missionaries going everywhere. But, but to go to Eastern Europe, to, you know, to, to go to what Germany is reached. I mean, Martin Luther, Germany's reached 500 years ago. But now the, the church is, is, you know, just infinitesimal size. And we need to be sending people. So, we're giving the gospel not just in every place, but to every person, every creature. And verse 16 tells us heaven and hell are at stake. All right, there's, there's a command to include baptism, just like Matthew. But it says those who believe are saved and those who don't believe are condemned. What's that mean? They're eternally apart from God. Their, their future is hell. It's intolerable. I'm not saying it's intolerable that that that's the way it is and that that's God's plan. It's intolerable that there are people that will go there without ever having heard of Jesus. Mark 16, 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to every person, praying that they'll turn from condemnation to salvation. Now we go to Luke. This one uh, was pretty unfamiliar to me, actually, until I got... to a Bible college, most people wouldn't list this as just, oh, that's, that's you know, I've memorized Luke's Great Commission. But it has a Great Commission, and it's very thorough, actually. Luke 24, 46. Luke is written by, anyone, anyone? Luke. Very good. This is the beloved physician, Dr. Luke, and he was a companion of Paul's. He writes the Gospel of Luke. This is the only Gentile writer of Scripture. It's fascinating. So he writes this, and and when he gets to the end, once again, he has a a different commission, but but the same idea. It's world evangelization. Luke 24, uh, Jesus has risen. He has the the conversation on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to disciples. And then um, later he appears to to all the disciples, and he teaches them that the Old Testament was about him. So the history, the Psalms, prophets were all pointing to Jesus. And, and then when he 
when it kind of summarizes that he's teaching them the scriptures, you can read that in verses 44 and 45. Verse 46 has the Great Commission again. He said to them, thus it is written. So Old Testament prophecies about him. And thus it behooved Christ, it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Okay, we just covered again the heart of the gospel, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And when he says it behooved him or it was necessary, some Jews would say, well, he could be the Messiah. He died on a cross. You know, certainly God wouldn't send the Savior to die on the cross. And he says, no, actually, if you study the scriptures, it's exactly what God sent his son to do. That's what Isaiah 53 says. That's what Psalm 22 says. He had to suffer and rise again the third day, just like the Scripture said. We're not done. He says the, the goal in verse 47 is that repentance and remission of sins, remission is forgiveness. Think of it this way. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached, not sermons, but proclamations should be preached in his name, with his authority, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, and then he says, verse 48, and ye, y'all, all y'all, are witnesses of these things. This is probably, I mean, alongside with Matthew, I guess, but this is probably the most comprehensive of the Great Commissions. It says that, The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Jesus had to suffer and die. He had to rise again. And because of what he's done, repentance should be preached. Not just a quick, you know, easy believism, but we're calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We're preaching in his name. So we're not preaching in our authority. I I don't come to you in the name of Chris. I don't come to you in the name of BMW. I come to you in the name of Jesus with his authority. It, it, it harkens back to Matthew 28, 18. All authority is his. We preach in his name. And where do we do it? Among all nations, starting at Jerusalem. And if you missed it, he's calling you to be witnesses. He's calling you to make announcements of what he has done to save sinners. Now, I included Acts 1.8. You say, man, you, you totally skipped John. What are you doing? All right. Who wrote Luke? Luke. Who wrote Acts? Luke. Okay, he has a a sequel. And, you know, a good sequel is going to kind of start with the scene from the the first movie. So, you know, Rocky III is one of my favorite sequels. It's going to start with the end of Rocky II, uh, where Rocky beats Apollo Creed. That has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever, except the sequel idea. Look at Acts 1-8 very quickly. And uh, this is another great commission that that we... Remember and memorize. But he's actually picking up where he left off in Luke 24, and the content is so similar. Acts 1.8, he says to them, But ye, y'all, shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. We just heard that in Luke. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, we saw that in Luke 24, beginning at Jerusalem, Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth, the end of the earth, all the world. And, and we saw that in Luke 24. So you are witnesses of me, uh, of these things. 
Um, you're going among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we put the two together and uh, we have to run through it quickly. But the main focus of Luke and Acts is you are witnesses. You say, man, I'm, you know, I haven't trained to be a preacher. Yeah, but if, if you know Jesus, I, I love the statement you shared yesterday. If you know enough to be a Christian, you know enough to tell somebody else how to be a Christian. You say, well, I, I don't know if I could, you know, I don't know if I know the gospel well enough. Well, are you saved? Evidently, you understand the gospel enough to, to believe it and to trust. You can share with somebody else. Again, you can be the Samaritan woman and say, hey, I don't know everything. You need Jesus. That, that's, that's a pretty good start to evangelism. What do they need from Jesus? Well, he died for your sins. And he rose again, and he offers you salvation. That, you, you're ready. You can evangelize. I mean, learn more, but, but you're ready. The focus is you are witnesses. I say something that you, uh, you know, a witness shares what they've experienced, maybe what they've learned, what they've been acquainted with. The content of the Christian message, again, is Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. We've already alluded to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the heart of the gospel. So we're, we're not just saying Jesus loves you. We're saying Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose again from the dead, literally, miraculously. Acts says that the forgiveness of sins is conditioned on repentance. Part of the gospel response is to believe and to repent. And the Bible sometimes will, will use shorthand. And when it says believe, it's assuming that it's a repentant belief. And when it says repent, it's assuming that it's a believing repentance. But conversion, as we read from Isaiah 55 this morning, is let the wicked forsake his way and turn to the Lord. All right, or, or 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he says, when you were saved, you turned to God from idols. Okay, so you didn't just believe in God and add him to your idols. You actually repented. You changed your mind. You turned away from idols. You turned away from your way, your rebellion, your sin, even your own righteousness. You turn from that and you turn to Jesus. Calls people to salvation. And once again, we have the universal scope. Luke 24 and Acts both say that this is supposed to happen all over the world. All over the world. We've, we've gotten that from Matthew and from Mark and from Luke and from Acts. It's supposed to happen all over the world. And the fact that there are places where 2,000 years later it's not happening, and in some places has never happened, it's intolerable. It's not okay. We have a duty. We have a responsibility. I mean, could Jesus have been any clearer at the end of Matthew and Mark and Luke? The beginning of Acts, he says, you got to take the gospel to the whole world, to every creature, to every person. And once again, we have this divine enablement. This is, this is so far beyond us. But Acts 1.8, he says, oh, but you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Matthew, he says, I have power, and I'm sharing it with you. Oh, but he also has promised to send us the Spirit you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then be witnesses. Oh, that, that's all the difference in the world. You think about the disciples. The disciples before the Holy Spirit, when, when Jesus was arrested, what did they do? 
They ran away. They cowered. You know, when, when Peter was questioned three times, even by like a servant girl, he denied Jesus again and again and again. And then even on Easter Sunday, when Jesus was risen, women were in the garden thinking they would like just take care of his dead body. But the men weren't in the garden. They were still hiding. They're all cowards. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them and they had power. Not the power of personality, not the power of training. They had the power of the Holy Spirit, miraculous power. And now they're fearless they're standing before the Sanhedrin and, and they're enduring persecution and they're put in prison and all of them, all of them were martyrs except one, John. And he lived to a ripe old age and retired to a nice Greek island. Actually, he was tortured and then sent to Patmos to die on you know, a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. They were changed by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We, we don't evangelize. We don't do missions. You know, all the training you've gotten and, and all the training you're giving, it's, it's necessary, but we need Holy Spirit power. You know, there, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, I didn't come to you preaching in demonstration of men, man's wisdom or with excellent speech, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Charles Spurgeon, the best English preacher in history, probably. He would ascend the pulpit. I think there were eight steps into the pulpit. And, and he would be nervous. And on each step, he would say, there is a Holy Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit. You know, before I get up to preach, I just pray, God, I'm an idiot. And I'm unfaithful. And blah. there's a Holy Spirit. Help me preach in demonstration of the Spirit of power. Actually, comically say, God, you once spoke through a donkey, so I'm asking for that. There is a Holy Spirit. He gives us power, and then we can be witnesses all over the world. Well, we didn't do John. Let's get there quickly. Turn to John 17, please. And uh, my time is, it's not fleeting. It has fleeted. It has fled. The last one is in John and, you know, we're not going to get a command to preach the gospel to all nations. We're not having a command to make disciples, but it is powerful. John 17, 18, in this high priestly prayer, do you remember Jesus is praying to the Father for our unity and, and not just praying for the disciples, but the ones who will believe after them, us? And he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm leaving them in the world but keep them from the evil of the world. And then John 17, 18, he says to the Father, as thou hast sent me into the world, which is epic. You know, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He sent the Son to be born in Bethlehem, to live a perfect life, to die, to rise again. The Father sent the Son on this rescue mission. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. I'm sending my disciples and, and people of future generations. I'm sending my church into the world. And then we get to Acts 20, verses 21 and 22. Acts 20, 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you, shalom. 
as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. The Father sent me, and I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And it's not that they received the Holy Ghost at that moment, but it's kind of a a prediction, a foreshadowing that they would receive the Holy Ghost in Acts when the Holy Spirit came, as we've already discussed. We have been sent, like Jesus, by Jesus. Over 40 times in the Gospel of John, he says that he is doing the will of his Father, that he was sent of the Father. I'm not making this stuff up, he said. The Father sent me. I'm on a mission, and he fulfilled that mission. He accomplished what the Father sent him to do, he says repeatedly. But after accomplishing what the Father sent him to do, he says, now, I'm sending you to do something. I'm, I'm sending you to carry on this work. I'm going to ascend to my, into heaven, and, and you guys, I, I've deputized you. I'm sending you to continue my work in the world. And I say, and this might raise your eyebrows, but I say, in a sense, we are all vicars of Christ. The word vicar, you know, the, the Pope is supposed to be the vicar of Christ, and, and it's blasphemous. You know, the Pope is not Christ's unique representative on earth. A vicar is like a stand-in, a deputy. Vicar means a substitute. Like we talk about the vicarious atonement is a substitutionary atonement. The Pope claims to be a vicar of Christ's heresy. But there's a sense in which every Christian is a vicar of Christ in the sense that, that we are carrying out work on his behalf. We're not saving people. We're not dying for people. But we are preaching the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ, and we are speaking in Christ's stead, in his place. We are his mouthpiece, and we're actually speaking to people on behalf of God. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. You're a Christian. You're called to speak the gospel to lost people on behalf of God. Once again, we have this universal scope. It doesn't say all nations, but it says... I'm sending them into the world. I'm sending them into the world. So John says we're not a monastery. The church isn't a hideout. You know, let's hunker down and wait for Jesus. No, we're an army, and our our job is to get trained, but then, then we deploy. You deploy to your neighborhood, to your workplace. You deploy to your family, your friends. And my prayer is that that somebody from here, maybe many bodies from here, would actually deploy to some of the darkest places in the world and take the gospel with you. You say, well, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't a missions major. Uh, I have a career. Right, that's awesome. You could take that career and the Lord will open doors for you to do gospel work, like Dr. Ramirez. You know, the Lord can use you. Stop assuming this is not for you. Lord of the harvest, we pray for laborers from Cloverleaf Baptist Church to go into the harvest. We're sent into the world. And again, we have that divine enablement He says, receive the Holy Ghost. All this would be impossible without him. Matthew, Luke, and John all tell us the task of world evangelization is far beyond us. We need power more than our own. And we have it through Christ, through his word, through his spirit. Great commissions. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and really the rest of the New Testament. And the Psalms. We're we're commanded to go. David Platt is a champion for missions, uh, very intense. 
David Platt has made this statement. The first part is this. God clearly has decided to use the church and only the church as the means by which the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Only the church. He, he could have gotten it done with angels, and they probably would have done a better job. But that's not what he commanded to do. Gabriel and Michael aren't going to do this. The commission's on us. And then he makes this chilling statement. There is no plan B. There's no plan B. The church does it or it doesn't get done. How shall they believe in someone they haven't heard? How shall they hear unless there's a preacher telling them? How will they preach unless we send them out? What about you? Is it intolerable to you that billions of people will live and die without ever hearing of Christ? When I say intolerable, I, I don't mean you complain to God about it. I just mean don't be at peace with it. Don't just shrug and say, well, it's always been that way. I guess it'll always be that way. What are you going to do? You you can't do everything. But that shouldn't stop you from doing anything. You can engage in your part of the harvest. You you can pray for more laborers. You can be more generous in supporting laborers. You know, the the two missionary families that are presenting this week are both under-supported. Help them. Help them. Third John says we ought to help people like this. Help them get the gospel out. You know, drink a little bit less coffee, but, but help them. Knowing that your life is not your own, you're bought with the price of Jesus' blood, will you invest your life to take the light of the gospel to the world's darkest places? I, I can't pretend to know God's will for your life. I can't call you to the mission field. But we just saw the commands of Jesus again and again and again and again. He couldn't be any clearer. He wants the gospel going everywhere. So what part are you playing in that? at least praying, at least giving and, and sending, and maybe, maybe going. Have the audacity to pray, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to go to the world. I, I don't know what you want me to do. I kind of have my own plan. I have a career path. But I'm willing to go to the world as you repeatedly commanded. Use me to address the intolerable problem of the unreached. So, you know, are you, are you willing to at least just pray and say, God, you want me to go? I'd, if you want me to go, I'm willing. And, and then buckle up. Because, uh, you know, God, God may adjust your plans a little bit. And it's going to be the 